We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. Once again, thank you for the opportunity to be here. And, uh, I do believe that summer camp and other ministries are just so wonderful. It can change your life, set the tone for your ministry. Just pray about where God would have you. And you should be praying about that because I believe that we have a God who directs steps. Come on now. A God who directs our steps. So as long as you are following the Lord, doing what he wants you to do, you'll end up always in the right place. So thankful to know the Lord Jesus Christ. I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. And God called me off to Maranatha right away and came here in this place. Absolutely changed my life. So thankful to be back and the opportunity to be here. It's good to see men like Dr. Saxton and Dr. Oates. Dr. Loggins is here as well. I love seeing these men, their faithfulness in the Lord, and just their, 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 their impact in my life 20 years ago, and so many other that have given their life over here to serve at Maranatha. But what I really love them here is that I'm about to preach. Now, as a preacher boy getting trained by these men, if this whole sermon goes like south real quick, we all know who to blame. Can I get an amen? <laughs> so there's Dr. Loggins over there, Dr. Oates, okay? So, you know, after 20 years of ministry, maybe. Okay, so it's good to be here. And uh, certainly the opportunity to have to share God's word with you. It's just wonderful to be here. 1 Peter chapter 4, 1 Peter chapter 4. Once again, stop by the Kobiak display, and we'd be glad to talk about summertime. 1 Peter chapter 4. Let's read a couple verses here. I'm just going to kind of drop right into verse 7, and we'll talk a little bit, and then get into the message here this morning. I do have things to give away. Come on now. You guys don't like giveaways? I mean, my father-in-law shows up and gives away, like, the, you know, the house, the barn, so we've got to at least represent a little bit. So I've got some Amazon gift cards to give away. Come on now. How many of you are feeling it now? You're like, I don't know this guy, but I like it. <laughs> you guys know what a dad joke is? Do you know where I keep all my dad jokes? In my data base. <laughs> Why did the opera singer go sailing? They wanted to hit the high seas. Slept like a log last night. Woke up in the fireplace. Why did the tree go to the dentist? They wanted a root canal. What do you call a girl between two posts? Annette. <laughs> Guys, it's not going to get much better than this all morning long. Come on, hang with me now. Here we go. I used to think I was indecisive, but now I'm not sure. Okay, here we go. I have giveaways. I have dad jokes. First Peter chapter 4. Let's jump right in. You're like, this guy's absolutely crazy. Hey, listen, we can have a good laugh. But I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. This passage of scripture has really been a challenge to my life. And really the, the thoughts of what Peter is developing for us. And I think they're so dynamically practical in our lives. And I sure hope that God touches your heart today in chapel. I remember messages in chapel that literally changed my life that I still think about. Okay. And that's just the power of the word of God piercing parts and just discerning. And I sure hope the Lord Jesus Christ manifests himself to you in his glory. Isn't it wonderful to know Jesus and to see him in his word, and to be changed. And he's coming again. Let's talk about that, if you would, please, in verse 7. Pretty, pretty powerful statement here, but let's kind of look at it, and we'll dive into it here this morning. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Now look up here. Like, that's a pretty powerful statement, right? When you kind of really think about what Peter is saying here, and, of course, the context as he flows through this passage of Scripture. And it's just so remarkable to think about the end of the world. It, it, the, the, the reality that God is moving all things towards a single point. And it has everything to do with 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Jump back up a few verses, if you would, please. Uh, chapter 4, verse 1, speaks of Christ suffering for us in the flesh. And Peter's trying to get us to have the same attitude, the same mindset, and there's a benefit to suffering that we should no longer live the rest of our times to the lust of men, but to the what? Come on. Yeah, I need a lot of interaction today because I want to make sure you guys get it. The will of what? Yeah, this is what God wants. And so we kind of already are laying the groundwork that this theme of suffering allows us to be refined to do the will of God. That's really all I'm talking about today, and I think that's all really what Peter's talking about. Through suffering, it points us to want to do the will of God, okay? So I would like to think that we're all on the same page. That everybody in here wants to do what God wants. I mean, come on, he created you. He made you just like you are. He's, he redeemed you. He saved you. He has a plan for your life. He's lavished grace all over you, and he just wants you to live for him. Can you do that? Like, we're not going to make it through this chapel message. Help me out here. Listen, you need to do what God wants. And boy, is it a wonderful life serving the Lord. And so, through this journey of doing the will of God and through suffering, Peter is talking about this refining. Now, I, don't, I want you to, to pay attention in the next part of the, the passage here. So, we, uh, verse 2, that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lust of men, but to the what? The will of God. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the what? The will of the what? Yeah, the will of the Gentiles. So we kind of got the will of God, and we kind of got the will of the Gentiles. And so Peter begins to kind of just build this idea that, that the will of the Gentiles, what, what the Gentiles are doing, and he lists some crazy stuff there for us, but they're kind of like going this way, and then the people of God, the born-again, saved, redeemed people of God, new covenant people, are going this way. Does it make sense? So the world is going this way, and we are going this way. They are doing the will of the Gentiles, and we're doing the will of God. And God uses this wonderful thing of suffering to help refine us to do what he wants. Right? You with me? So God is moving in our hearts through suffering to do the will of God. And I think as we kind of unpack quickly today, it's really just trying to remind us to do what God wants. To do the will of God. And he gets into this message about the end of all things. And notice what he says here in verse uh, 5. We have these, these Gentiles who are now speaking evil of you. Look at verse 4, wherein they think it strange. Uh, that word strange kind of has the idea of an astonishment of novelty. That is, something new is happening and, and it's, it's strange to them. Okay, It's new. And so they have this novelty that you run not with them to the same excess of riot. Or kind of the idea with suffering, as the world is going this way, Peter's talking to these, these people and talking about how maybe their friends are putting some peer pressure, some external pressure on them, that, that all of a sudden they were living a certain way, and now in Christ they're not living that certain way, and they think it's strange. Okay. And then Peter reminds them in the flow of the text that even though they are speaking evil of you, just remember verse 5, who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Can I ask you a question? Do you believe that everybody will bow to Jesus one day? Do you believe that? Yes. Does, did Peter believe that? Sure he did. And the reminder, as the world is going this way, 
And you've got friends and you know who they are that are living this way. And here you are at Maranatha Baptist University trying to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're speaking evil of you. That's the idea. They're going this way. You're trying to go this way. And it's hard. It's difficult. There's suffering. There's peer pressure. That is the context by which Peter launches out in this statement. And he says this, but the end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. It sounds like maybe an alarmist call. The world is coming to an end. You guys remember Chicken Little? That's really... I mean, I guess that's Chicken Little. But you remember the story of Chicken Little? Right? Just like sky is falling into the world. Trying to convince everybody that, you know, the sky is falling on his way to the king. Okay? That may appear to be an alarmist call. In 1945, they came out with the doomsday clock. So these scientists got together right after uh, the war... And they kind of made the, this clock idea, the vulnerability, quote, of catastrophe from nuclear weapons, climate change, and disruptive technologies. See, they've been talking about climate change for a long time. Isn't that wonderful? Okay. So 1945, they kind of come up with this, when is the world ending? And in January 2020, the same team has reported that the clock sits at 100 seconds to midnight. And according to them, the world is ever inching towards potential doom. Sounds depressing, right? The end of all things is at hand, right? You guys remember 1997? You guys don't remember 1997? You weren't even born. Is this what it's like being old when you have illustrations to people that... How many of you remember 1997, the Haley Bop Comet? This comet was like coming towards, like, you know, close to the earth, and they were, you know, making a big deal about this, and these, like, this cult called Heaven's Gate decided that they were going to lace up some vodka with some poison kill themselves because they really believed they were going to jump on the backside of the comet and be transported into like the next new existence, you know, the Heaven's Gate type idea. Isn't that crazy? Now, the end of the world stuff has been talked about for a long time. But Peter is talking about the end of all things coming to a single point. It has everything to do with the seed of the woman that was promised in Genesis and the day that, that the seed of the woman will ultimately reign and return in the kingdom and the new heaven, the new, the new earth. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. And so this Jesus becomes the center focus point of the end of the world. Now I just want to focus just a few moments on what the will of God in light of this really looks like. Okay, so you had some freaky people like 20 years ago, like literally drink poison and vodka and die. That was their response at the end of the world. And you got a lot of crazy out there in our world about stuff. But I wonder what this type of living looks like for us. And Peter's just going to unpack a few things for us that I just want to share with you here this morning. Everybody good? We don't have very much time, so we've got to fly through these, okay? Um, God wants you to do his will. And through the difficulty and pressures of suffering, it moves us to doing what he wants. And as Peter would eventually say in verse 19, Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. What is the well-doing? I'm going to give you just a couple. uh, Is this working? I think we'll click through just a little bit. If you guys can help me in the back there, I'm trying to click through it. You guys help. Can you guys help me back? Click through a couple of those, please. And so let me give you three words and three uh, sentences to unpack very quickly. If I were using just three words, I would say, what does well-doing look like? What does the will of God look like in response to this? Number one, pray. Number two, love. Number three, serve. 
Pray, be clear-minded and spiritually alert for the purposes of prayer. Love to the maximum potential because relationships are vital and offenses are real. Serve, serve others in grace because God has given his grace to you. Let's get back into the text of scripture, verse 7. The Bible says this, but the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch, what? Watch unto what? Yeah, okay. So the end of all things is coming. What does that look like? Peter goes right into this intense, practical, powerful application in our lives. It's a very simple statement. Let's unpack it. Be therefore sober. Sober, we know, uh, several places in the New Testament speaks of being sober-minded. The term literally means without, uh, uh, free from intoxicating influences. That is, figuratively, we know that to be sober-minded means that we do not allow ourselves to be influenced away from sound judgment. The sober-minded individual is not intoxicated Figuratively speaking, he's calm under pressure, self-controlled in all areas. Other translations, keep your head, keep a clear mind, exercise self-control. So so the end of all things is at hand should bring us to this serious mindedness, this level-headedness as believers. Make sense? How many of you understand that? Okay. Also, he says this in the text, be therefore sober and watch. What does it mean to watch? Well, to watch means to be on alert the spiritual realities. Let me say that one more time. Everybody look at me. Jesus is coming. The end of all things is coming. And he says, watch. That is, be spiritually alert to spiritual realities. You watch with the ability to react righteously. In contrast to watching, the New Testament gives this idea that the other, the other opposite side would be one who is sleeping. Sleeping indicates an insensitivity to responsibility, being insensitive to what is happening around us spiritually. Or in other words, be clear-minded and alert so it floods into your what? Your prayers. Yeah. That is, people who believe Jesus is coming are people who are sober-minded, who are watching, and it just flows into the way they talk to God about things. The way they pray, the consistency that they pray, the intensity that they pray, the fervency that they pray. Hey, listen, it comes back down to prayer. So I had to drive all the way over to Michigan, or from Michigan to Wisconsin, to tell you you need to pray. How's your prayer life? No, really. How's your prayer life? Like, the end of all things at hand is intensely practical, and that seems to be the emphasis of all the New Testament. And you have these, this soberness and this watchfulness that floods into the way we pray. The way we pray. And we're so sensitive to spiritual realities around us. Do you know souls are perishing? Yeah. Yeah. Hell is not long. Hell is forever. And how quickly we go through our days and we forget to pray. You remember you used to pray for your grandma or your unsaved relative? Hey, you remember you used to pray for your neighbors? You remember when you first got saved, you were so excited to pray? And yet, Peter reminds the readers to just come back to these spiritual realities and to be alert and watchful to these things. And we should be praying. Souls are perishing. Souls are perishing. Souls are perishing. Satan's deceiving. We forget that one all the time, don't we? There's a diabolical being in opposition to God who wants to devour you. Did you know that? Staff, are we praying? 
Satan is deceiving. He wants to devour our lives. And we can't even talk to God. Oh, you'll talk to everybody else about it. Can't talk to God about it. Is it my feeling this? Come on. Come on now. Hey, come on now. Yeah. Not everybody in here is. Some of you are. Hey, listen. This is not, it's not hard. Peter says, just pray. This alertness to prayer. A couple of uh, weeks ago, actually a couple months ago now, I had the opportunity to go to Alaska. I had a buddy of mine who does a, uh, a, a not a scout, but a, a guide trip. And so he asked me to come, pay for the whole thing. He said, buy some waders. You're going to Alaska. So we went to the Coho Salmon Run, the west side of the state. It was beautiful. Night number one, I could talk all day about it. I'm not going to because I'm on a time limit. Unless you just want me to tell dad jokes the rest of the time, but I'm not going to do that either, okay? So I'm, I'm in Alaska. Night number one, they tell us about these grizzly bears, these grizzly bears that are on, and you're like, yeah, 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 grizzly bears. Is anybody from Alaska here? Oh, yeah. Bro, there's grizzly bears in Alaska. Night number one, they're saying grizzly bears. All of a sudden, we're setting up camp, and all of a sudden, 100 yards away, I heard the first grizzly bear growl I've ever heard in my entire life. And so we're like panicking, freaking out. We can't see it. We got our bear spray running out, kind of looking around. But we can't see it because there's like a lot of brush. You know, in Alaska, it's crazy. So this thing is getting closer and closer and closer. I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it. We're freaking out. Bear spray. We're ready. Someone's like, listen, do you have a drone? Don't you have a drone with you? We had a drone with us on this Alaska trip. So I got the drone out, and I flew the drone up. And I'm trying to, you know, spy these things in the brush and stuff like that. And finally, I saw them. We zoomed down. They got scared of the drone. I don't think they ever saw it, but I think they heard it. You know what I'm talking about? The, the, the buzzing sound of the drone, you know. So all of a sudden, these grizzly bears are like running away. I'm chasing them with the drone. I got the whole thing on video. <laughs> Night number one. I was there for like nine days. Funny, the rest of the time, I was just a little bit more aware. I was a little more careful. So we walked around and we said the most important words you say in Alaska. Hey, bear. Hey, bear. Hey, bear. Everywhere we walked, everywhere we went. As long as you made noise, usually kind of scared him away. Hey, bear. I got sick of saying, hey, bear. Hey, bear. I started saying, hey, boo-boo. Hey, boo-boo. Hey, boo-boo. Okay? And so, hey, listen. I was just a little bit more aware. Hey, listen. Seriously, look up here. Satan wants to devour you. So pray. Be alert to the spiritual realities around us. Number two... Notice what he says. Not only are we supposed to pray, we're supposed to love. Look in the text, if you would. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Hang with me. We're going to fly through this. Above what? All things. There appears to be some emphasis of priority here. Remember when Paul talked about faith, love, and hope, and yet the greatest of these things is what? Love. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have Love, there appears to be an emphasis of priority. So he says this. Hey, listen, the end of all things is at hand. You better start praying. The end of all things is at hand. You better start loving. Here's what he says. Above all things, have fervent charity. That word fervent carries the idea of folding completely out. We might say uh, to the maximum potential. So you're supposed to love to the maximum potential and have this among yourselves. Love to the maximum potential because relationships are vital and offenses are Real, above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. Um, yeah. Notice what he says. Can you guys see that verse up there? Have fervent charity so that, that it's just the idea that you're going to choose 
to have maximum potential love in your life. You're just going to say, I'm going to be like Jesus no matter what. Why? For charity shall cover the what? The multitude of sins. I got some giveaways here. I was supposed to give this way, give this one away during prayer. How many of you feel like you want a fifteen or a ten dollar Amazon card? Hey, come on right here. You get look at this. You just sit in the front row, man. Come on now. Come on, Mr. Alaska, come on up. You have not because you Well, that was kind of my prayer. Yeah, there you go. Ten dollar. You just find a friend over there once another one. There you go. Okay, so that was our pray thing. So love, um, I have a box of crunch berries, Captain Crunch. <laughs> so love covers a multitude of sins. Isn't that what it says? I, I think we live in a society that's very easily offended. For the Johns, would that be fair to say? And God, as the world is going this way, God wants his people to live so different. And I think one way we really do live is above all things we have charity because charity covers a multitude of sins. And I think the Bible speaks of being offended and having to go deal with offenses between your brethren. And I think this carries the idea of people who just live light and live free. They're just not easily offended. They choose to be like Jesus and just let their love cover a multitude of sins. So we're going to talk about your roommates right now. Come on now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was in a college dorm too once. Uh, you know, I'm 41, and I realized something. I've been in ministry now for two decades or so, and I realized that people are always going to be idiots. Like, I'm just talking real with you, okay? And what I'm saying is that people are going to be sinful and selfish the rest of your life. Did you know that? Am I right, Dr. Oates? I mean, just... People just don't change. You, like, you kind of get the point you realize. And maybe it's getting worse because they're very easily offended now. And so what I just decided in my life, in my ministry, is that I'm not going to give the car keys to nobody. Ain't nobody, nobody going to drive me crazy. Jesus told me that I can have joy. No man can take it from me. And I'm just going to live light and live free and love people. How about you? And that includes your roommates. So here's what we're going to do. How many of you are having a rough time with your roommates right now? Because I'll tell you what, a serial party in your dorm room can solve a lot. As in water, face answers to face, so the heart of a man to a man. You just need to have a heart-to-heart with your roommates, cover the multitude of sins, because there is a multitude of sins in your room right now. I understand that. Okay. Knight, get up here. Yeah, give give it up for Mr. Knight here. You need to have a cereal party. This is really spiritual and biblical because if you just eat cereal, people and hang out and talk about your problems, it'll be just fine, okay? All right. Hey, listen. Hey, we're having a little fun with this. We're having a little fun with this, but listen, seriously. The end of all things is at hand, and God wants his people to be people who are not bitter, who are not easily offended, who live light, who live free, who live in joy, because this world so desperately needs to see people like Jesus today in a crazy dark world. And so we're going to start praying a little more. Come on now. Come on now. And we're going to start loving a little more. And, and really, like, multitude of sins and offenses are just part of, the, part of it. And you need to be someone who decides that you're going to live that way. Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my roommate sin, sin against me? Okay, we're making some application to our uh, exegesis here. Okay. Uh, how many times do I forgive? 
you know, till seven. Jesus saith unto him, I say not unto thee unto seven times, but seventy times what? Yeah. The discretion of a man defers his anger. It is his glory to pass over a transgression. I don't need no Disney princess telling me to let it go, but that's what I'm telling you. Just live like Jesus, that's all. Because he's coming. He's coming. The last one, quickly, serve. Serve others in grace. Notice the text, just quickly. It's, it's going to be up there, but we just got it. We got about a minute or two. Um, use hospitality one to another. The word hospitality combines phileo with stranger. So we're loving strangers. And we're going to serve one another without grudging. I love this. The Bible so knows our hearts oh so well. The Bible has to remind us to serve the Lord with gladness because sometimes we serve the Lord. And sometimes we serve the Lord with gladness. Sometimes we use hospitality. And sometimes we use hospitality without complaining, without grudging. The idea here is serving. So these people of God who are doing the will of God and committing ourselves to this faithful God through suffering and the pressures of life, here's what they do. They serve. They just serve people. They love it. And here's what the Bible instructs us, okay? Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the... I can read, but I want you to read. The what? The same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Come on, we've got to crash land this plane. Hang tight. Listen, it's really, it's really not that hard. You serve and, and, and have the spirit of just loving and serving people for one reason. You want to be a good steward of the grace of God. Or in other words, has God lavished His grace upon you? Yes. Has He gifted you? And, and Peter will say, use your gift in a certain way as God has given to you. But the core, the heartbeat of what he's saying is that as God has lavished grace on you, and yes, it was when He saved you, and He gave you new birth, and He, he made you alive, But it was every time you sinned and confessed and you got right. It was His grace in putting you in the family that you're in today. It was His grace in leading you to Maranatha. And the lavishness of God's grace that's all over our lives ought to produce in somebody a heart that wants to pass that grace along to somebody else, which is the heartbeat of what service is all about. And and we know this, that that the, the abundant grace given to us, okay, might be found, what? To the thanksgiving of many, right? So God lavishes His grace. We recognize it. We become thankful. And this redounds to the what? The glory of God. That way it contributes to the glory of God. Or in other words, you just decide that you're going to serve. One reason. Because God has graced you. And you want to, as a good steward, pass that grace along to, to other people. Does that make sense? Okay. The end of all things is at hand. What is that? What does Maranatha living look like? It's people who are going to pray a little bit more today and tomorrow, more spiritually alert, people who are going to love. And love covers a multitude of sins. And people are just going to serve that grace and good stewards as we serve the Lord Jesus Christ. How many think you can make application in your life today? based on the text of Scripture. Let's pray. We'll be closing here. Thanks for the opportunity again. 
Let's conclude in prayer. Father, we're so thankful to be saved, to know you. Thank you for truth. Thank you for your love. I pray, Father, you would seal this word to our hearts. And I pray that you would just allow us, by your spirit and your grace, to serve you more effectively. Thank you for the promises of your return. In Jesus' name, amen.